And I'm going to ask, uh, you know that I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word, and then we're going to be done. I'm going to keep you in shape around here. Amen. Uh, we're going through the book of Mark, and tonight I'm going to be talking to you on the subject of it's not too late. I want you to say with me, it's not too late. It's never over until God has had his say. Amen. And so now, let's uh, look. The, I want to just, uh, as a matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and tell him this is going to be good tonight. Perk up and listen. And you can be seated because I'm going to talk to you before I read the verses. Amen. Now you can be seated. You're good. Because I forgot. I want to I give you a little more introduction. How many of you have been here through this series on the book of Mark? Almost all of you. And uh, we picked this because Mark reads like a newspaper. And when somebody gets saved and they say, what should I read? I say either Mark or John is what you ought to read. Because Mark reads so smooth, so quick. Mark is the action gospel. Mark, is, uh, Mark reads like a newspaper. Uh, it's easy to understand. Mark focuses more on the uh, miracles of Jesus than he does the teachings. And uh, let me just give you a little bit more about the book tonight. The book of Mark has traditionally been assigned to John Mark, in whose mother's house at Jerusalem, Christians assembled. Remember when Peter got delivered from jail, and uh, he went knocking on the door of a house, and they didn't believe that it was him. Well, that was Mark's mother's house. And uh, she knew that it was Simon Peter, and actually I believe it's her that opened the door to him. Now, Mark was likely led to Jesus by Simon Peter. Peter, you'll notice uh, in 1 Peter 5, 13, calls him Mark, my son. It was his close association with Peter that gives apostolic authority to his gospel. Many believe that Peter really dictated to him the facts of the book. He knew Simon Peter really well. Now, this same Mark was a cousin of Barnabas and accompanied Barnabas and Paul on a missionary journey. Acts 12, 25 says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, so far, so good. He's traveling with the big guns. But I want you to notice what happened. In chapter 13, verses 3 to 5, we read that they took him again on the first missionary journey. So it says, uh, quote, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They also had John. Now, when you read that in your Bible, it's talking about John Mark as their assistant. However, Mark left early. He bailed. Okay? Now, Paul didn't like that. I want you to notice what happened. He bailed. And um, this rubbed Paul the wrong way. He left them. And when Barnabas later wanted to bring Mark on the second missionary journey, Paul refused him, which led to a falling out with Barnabas. So here, I don't know if this makes, blesses you or ministers to you, but I'm kind of happy to see that even Paul and the, the big guns had spats. I mean, they weren't always going, oh, bless you. Hallelujah, and doing the sign of the cross. They had a fight. 
Barnabas wanted to bring Mark, and Paul did not want to take him. And he was basically saying, he bailed on us. I'm not going to take a quitter. And so Barnabas took Mark to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas through Syria and Cilicia. Now, let's just keep on going here. But reconciliation between Paul and Mark came later. Now, I want you to say with me, it's okay to have a spat because you're human, as long as you reconcile later. I'm glad to see they had a spat. Not that they had the spat, but I'm glad to see that even Paul had spats. But I'm also glad to see they made up. Now, I'm going to show you how strong it was. <clears throat> it says here that Paul wrote that Mark was with him during his first Roman imprisonment about 12 years later. At the end of his life, Paul actually sent for Mark, and he said this, he's useful to me for ministry. You know what the story of Mark shows? The one that wrote this gospel we've been studying? That our God is the God of a second chance. Our God is, don't you know what Mark must have felt like when Paul, who just handed out handkerchiefs and people got healed. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul said, I don't want you coming with me. You're a quitter. I don't want you with me. Can you imagine? Not good. Now, I wanted you to see that because I want you to see when you open the book of Mark that you're reading the writings of somebody moved by the Holy Spirit who knew what it was to struggle, who knew what it was to fail, and who knew what it was to come back. Anybody in here ever failed? If you fail, say amen. Anybody in here never failed? You better not raise your hand in front of me. I'll come down there and point you out. All right, wanted you to see that, give you a little bit of background on the book of Mark. Now I want to come to the story I want to focus on tonight. So let's look, look up here, Marcia. And uh, here's Mark, chapter 5, verses 35 to 42. And before we read that, I want to read Mark 5, 21, which leads up to these verses. Now it says, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, named Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he begged him, earnestly saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and they thronged him. Uh, TJ, I'm gonna, do I need to get another mic here? Because I'm getting feedback still. Okay, let's just kill this one. All right? Say amen. There we go. That's better. That's better. All right, now, here's Jairus. He's coming to him. His daughter is sick, and she's dying. And she comes to Jesus, or he comes to Jesus on her behalf, and he says, Lord, can you heal my daughter? Now, here's a desperate father, a desperate man. He needs an answer. Now, while he's talking to Jesus, and while he's pleading and praying for his daughter, the Bible tells us that the woman with the issue of blood walked up right about then and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And she was healed. Now, here we've got a distraction 
And yet, don't you know that when this woman with the issue of blood was healed, it built Jairus' faith because he's got a daughter dying. Now, we've got people in our church who have lost children, and I've presided over a lot of funerals in my life. And I'm going to tell you, the toughest one, the hardest funerals are where a child has died. There's nothing like it. Nothing takes your heart away like that. And boy, do you need the ministry of the Holy Spirit at a time like that. And here is this man, and he's believing that his dying daughter is going to be healed. And right about then, there is a commotion. And this woman with an issue of blood comes up and immediately knows that she has been healed. And so this sends a thrill through the crowd. And I believe that this was an incredible encouragement to Jairus. Now, up to this point, Mark chapter 5, we've had two demon possessions that Jesus has ministered to, delivered people of demons. He's healed a leper already. A paralytic has already been healed. A withered hand has been restored. The woman with the issue of blood has been healed. And now we've got a little girl. Rightly, the Word of God says that Jesus, when he was on the earth, went about everywhere doing good and healing. Can everybody say with me, healing? He healed everybody who was oppressed of the devil. That's what he did. And now we've got this, this little girl and this father, this desperate dad. At the outset of his appeal, you can almost feel the angst and the worry and the fear and the tremendous cry from his heart, Lord, it's miracle time. If you don't do it, it's not going to get done. And that's how you know when you need a miracle. When you know that if God doesn't do it, it's just not going to get done. The need for a miracle brings you to your knees. The need for a miracle produces desperate faith like we talked about last week. This dad is just one of a series of people that approach Jesus in desperate faith. I need a miracle. I need something supernatural. There is no natural solution for this. She's dying. And Lord, I need you to help us. I need you to intercede. I need you to intervene. Now, right on the tail end of the miracle of this woman being healed in front of him, and no doubt his faith soaring, the Bible says that some messengers came up to this dad and they said, hate to break it to you, but here's the fact. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And he receives a bad report. How many of you have ever needed a miracle and Next thing you know, when you're believing God and your faith is on fire and you're really expecting, you receive a negative report. Just takes the wind out of your sails, just like a punch in the gut, a negative report. They come to him and they say, hate to break it to you, you might as well give up. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jairus, she died. It's too late. She died. Isn't it often the case that when we need a miracle, that's when the most discouraging words come. 
and they come from any one of a number of sources. But I'll tell you who it usually is. It's usually somebody who knows you. It's usually somebody close to you. It's usually somebody that's got a little bit of power in your life in terms of input. And they come and they say, man, you know, uh, I hear you. I know you got good faith, but guess what? It's too late. She died. And so I'm, I, I'm trying to put myself in this dad's sandals. Here he is. Man, I just saw a woman healed. I just saw a miracle done. I just saw Jesus do what I have believed all along he could do, and this is why I'm trusting him with my daughter. And now I'm told that she died, and it's too late. These contrary voices came to the heartbroken father, and just like cold water poured on the fire of his faith. Now, when this happens, and I want to tell you, I don't want to speak anything negative over you, but I am going to tell you the truth. When it happens, and it will, when you're believing God for something, the enemy is want to slip in and try to give you a negative report. Discourage your faith. Knock the wind out of you. Make you want to give up. Make you want to walk away. Because he knows if you hang in there, that sometimes it is darkest before the light breaks through. Sometimes you go through the deepest part of the valley before the rainbow appears in the sky. This is the way that it works. A battle, a negative report, is not the final say. That's why I'm calling this tonight. It's not too late. Can I tell you a little secret? It's never over until God has had his say. It's never over until God has had his say. When this happens to us, we have a choice. And you're going to have this choice over and over and over again throughout your Christian life. Here's the choice. Whose report am I going to believe? And I'll tell you, it makes a, a huge difference in your future. Whose report you believe? Just ask Israel, the first generation. The 12 spies went over. They came back. Ten of them said, we can't defeat the giants. They're huge. We're like grasshoppers. And all of Israel believed them but two men. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can defeat them. Israel chose to believe the negative report, and they died in the sand. Their bones bleached white in the wilderness. They never tasted the fruit. They never crossed over the Jordan. They never stepped into what God had for them. And you know what did it to them? which report they decided to believe. Mm -mm. I'm going to tell you, this is Christianity in the raw here. This is Christianity. There's voices. There's two kinds of voices talking to you all the time. The negative voice of the devil, the, de the negative report, or the positive report of God. They're both always talking. The people giving you the negative report often mean well. They do. I've had people give me negative reports who meant well. Pastor Jeff, I hate to tell you. I love you. But here's what i got to tell you about this. And it's this negative report. But here's what it's wise to ask when you get a negative report. Anybody in here ever gotten one? Here, here's what it's wise to ask. When that person near you who might mean well, when they give you the negative report. Here's what you ought to ask. 
is this report you're giving me, is it flowing from the Holy Spirit after you have prayed about this? Or are you just shooting from the hip, speaking in the flesh, just giving me your almighty idea? I don't want your opinion. I want a word from God. Often the negative report comes from somebody who means well, but they're moving in the flesh. They're not operating in the Holy Ghost. They haven't prayed about it. I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the more picky I am about who I want around me. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about voices. You are the one in charge of what you listen to. God didn't give us ear lids, but he did give us the ability to walk away from a negative report. I mean, there's good people and there's negative people. And there's people who will encourage you and spur you on. There's people who will drag you down and negate you and marginalize you and steal your vision away from you. Here's this dad. His daughter's dying. And they come to him and they say, don't bother the teacher anymore. It doesn't do you any good to go to God with this. You might as well hang up your prayer life. You might as well forget it and just walk away because she's died. It's too late. I'm going to say it again. It's never over until God has had his say. Flesh will tell you something's too late. But God may tell you, get ready for a resurrection. Get ready for me to do something, though it looks dead to you. What I find interesting here is it says that Jesus heard the words that were spoken. He heard the words that were spoken. He hears what people say to you. He watches what you listen to. It encourages me that Jesus heard it. You know what Jesus did? Jesus wheeled around and said, only believe. He negated, he, he, he crossed out what the negative report was, and he said to this desperate father, he said, only believe. Believe. Now, if God hasn't given you a word, you may not have a right to believe. But if he's given you a word, if he's with you, if you've got a promise to stand on, then only believe. And it's not vacuous belief. It's not a leap into the dark. It's not an irrational stand. You're standing on a promise. He said virtually the same thing to Mary and Martha who were standing at their dead brother's tomb. And I love this. He said, didn't I say to you, they're sitting there saying, Lord, I can't roll that stone away. The problem, my brother, he stinketh. How many of you have ever had a problem that stinketh? You know you need a miracle when the problem stinketh. He, they said, he's been down there for four days. He stinketh. You don't want me to roll this stone away. It's embarrassing. I don't want that stench coming out. I'm embarrassed. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God on your problem? Didn't I tell you if you would believe? Well, when you believe... Something you're believing for isn't yet there. Or why believe? If it's there, you don't need to believe. But if it's not there yet, how does something that is out there in promised land come here? Only believe. 
only believe. And what is there will be reeled in here. And you will see with your natural eye the result of your initial believing. Say with me, I'll see the glory of God. See, if, if I'm walking in faith and standing on a promise, it is not useless faith. It is God's way of getting what is there here. So if I believe, I'm going to see the glory of God, not, not my problem destroying me, not my problem being uh, 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 irreconcilable or unfixable, but I'm going to see God's glory on that problem. I'm going to see His glory on the mess. Isn't that what he's saying? My experience is placing your faith in God. When you've got a problem, when you've got a mess, when you've got a, uh, something that, that only God can fix, if you place your faith in God, the Bible says your hope will never make you ashamed. I look out there at the world now, and I see all kinds of people with false hope, false faith. And the hope that they have does make them ashamed because what they're hoping for and believing for and expecting is not going to come because it's not based on the promises of God. It's based on some errant philosophy or some, some, um, um, some belief that has no foundation in God. And so their hope doesn't deliver and it makes them ashamed. They say, well, it just didn't happen for me. But when your hope is based on a promise, and when Jesus says to you, only believe, only believe. I know she's dying, and I know she's dead, but I want you to just believe. Then the promise is you will see the glory of God break through on your problem. And that's been my experience. It may look like a mess for a while. It may stink for a while. It may look hopeless for a while. But if you believe and you stand on the promises of God, God somehow some way, someday, in his unique way and fashion, places his glory and he works it together for the good. And that's why your hope will not leave you ashamed. Mm -mm 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 -mm. You know, I'm going to tell you, if I didn't believe this, I'd never preach again. You wouldn't see me this Sunday. But I know this is true. I know this is the Word of God. I know that my God exists. And I know that He honors faith. Now, a second thing jumps at me from this story. And I want you to hear this carefully. You may need to remove yourself from the presence of naysayers, doubters, and critics when you're believing God for something that is crucial. The Bible tells us that Jesus began in verse 37 of Mark 5, he began the process of choosing who would be around him for this miracle. He told the dad, I'm coming. Yeah, 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 you, you've told me that, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's dead, and I get it, but I'm going to go to the house and I'm going to visit. But look what it says. It says that, Jesus immediately began to set apart and choose who was going to be with him for this miracle. 
he made some people step back, and he chose three to be with him. It says he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So here's Jesus saying, this is a miracle. I'm about to resurrect somebody from the dead. It's too sacred. It's too holy. It's too powerful. It's too meaningful. It's too deep. It's too special for just anybody to be around. I want people with me who can believe with me for this. Now, if Jesus did that, where in the world does that leave us? I'm going to tell you again, folks, it matters who you're listening to. It matters who's speaking into your life. Somebody's speaking into your life. Somebody's teaching you. Somebody's forming your thoughts and your opinions and your worldview. Somebody is discipling you. And you know what I've seen? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're being discipled by Christ. And I'm talking about this on Sundays, every Sunday now. But just because you're a believer, you can still be saved and going to heaven, but not be apprenticed, discipled, taught by Jesus. I'm going to answer that cell phone. Wherever it is, here I come. Hello? I want you to notice Jesus said, I want those who will believe with me to be with me. Folks, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to from television. Be careful who you listen to, who you read, who you allow to speak into your life. You know, Kathy and I have gotten where we just start every day with the Word of God. I don't want to start any other way. We started with the Word of God. I don't want anything else talking into my life. I pretty well decided that the television is crazy, baby. It's insane. It's a babble box. Do you know the millions of women allow every day Oprah to teach them? Or Dr. Phil? Or some other media personality, some pop culture figure, and they're not taught by Jesus? Jesus said, I want people with me. This is miracle time. I want people positive, full of faith. I'm going to select who's with me. Jesus knew that he was walking into a hornet's nest of unbelief. And so when they arrived at the house where the little girl lay dead, Mark records this. Jesus saw a tumult, an uproar, and those who wept and wailed loudly. It was a scene, a drama scene. The house was filled with people sobbing and wailing with unrestrained noise. It was a bad scene. Matthew mentions that there were hired flute players there. And Luke adds the detail that they were beating their chests. So you got flutes playing mournful songs. You got people beating their chests, wailing and yelling and screaming and crying. And what I found out digging into this is they were hired to do that. Hired mourners, hired criers. I know people that could get that job. They'd like it. Hired to cry, hired to weep, hired to pitch a fit. I know people that could fit into that job. 
It would be their personality. The majority of the mourners were professionals. This is what they did. It's where they made their money. And this custom went all the way back past Jeremiah. It was that old among the Jewish people. Noise, tumult, flutes, crying. This is what greeted Jesus as he approached with this desperate dad, Jairus. Jesus immediately addressed this drama scene. And here's what he said. Stop it. The child's not dead, but is asleep. I'm going to tell you, sometimes Jesus stopped a storm. Sometimes he stopped unnecessary drama. Sometimes we need to stop a storm. Sometimes we need to stop unnecessary drama. In our homes, in our churches, at our jobs, just say, stop it. Settle down. Quit acting this way. This is not a tragedy. God's glory is going to be on it. Come on. The child's not dead but sleeps. Now, I read that. I said, was Jesus actually saying that this child was not dead but was only sleeping? No. And here's where the beauty of the synoptic gospels come in. If you only read Mark, you wouldn't know the answer to that question. But if you read Luke, Luke says in chapter 8, verse 55, that when Jesus took her by the hand and told her to get up, her spirit returned. The spirit departs when you die. Her spirit returned. So, no doubt, she was dead. Now, in telling the crowd she was only sleeping, Jesus was speaking as God. This is why he said, no, nah, she's asleep. She's not dead. He was speaking as God, who had total power over death and life. Only God can look at somebody dead and say, nah, only sleeping. Because in just a minute, they're getting up. You know what? Paul called Christian dead people sleepers. What was he saying? They're going to get up someday. They're going to get up someday. And in front of the grief-stricken father, these mourners, these professionals, began to ridicule Jesus. The Greek language is very strong here. They broke into scornful, derisive laughing. They were laughing, mocking Jesus. Now, you know what the Bible says he did? He put them all out. What I like about it is this. He didn't react. He didn't get angry. He didn't defend himself. He didn't say, oh, yeah, well, come in here with me. I'll get her up right in front of you. He didn't say that. He said, get out. I'm going to say this in love now. Sometimes you have to say to somebody who's affecting your faith for a miracle, you know what, I love you, but when you're believing for a miracle, thanks, but no thanks. I, I need faith here. I don't need people mocking me, ridiculing me, shoot me down shooting my vision down, he put him outside. Now accompanied only with Peter, James, and John, and the mom, and the dad. He takes him into the room, and he sees the girl for the very first time. 
And this dad, after seeking Jesus in the crowd, after waiting while he dealt with the woman with the issue of blood, and after persevering through negative reports and the terrible way they treated Jesus in his house, the dad now was about to see the truth of the matter. And the Bible says Jesus reached down, took the little girl by the hand, Talitha Kumai. Young maiden, get up. She's dead. And all the mourners knew it. With the mom and the dad standing there, can you imagine? Her eyes popped open. She sucked in a breath. She sat up. And the Bible says she stood up. And then the Bible says she began to walk. Don't you know those mourners outside were dumbstruck when this one who they had mocked and ridiculed just took her by the hand and said, get up. I guarantee you, there was Pentecost that day. There was Pentecost that day. And I think they saw the parents before they ever saw her. I think they were doing cartwheels and jumping around and running around outside like they were crazy. Look at this. Their little girl raised from the dead. The Bible says that they were amazed. The five witnesses, here's how it describes it. They were amazed with great amazement. Let me just make that simple for you. Their jaws were dragging the ground, and their eyes were popping out of their head. And they had nothing they could think to say. They're dumbstruck. Jesus raised her from the dead. Now, I want you to listen to a verse as I close tonight. What do we learn from this from the book of Mark about Jesus? Because I'm looking for Jesus in Mark. We're following Jesus through Mark. What do we learn here? Romans 14, 9 says, For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Here's what you learn. Our Jesus was a first century hippie walking around with long hair and a beard and blue eyes and blonde hair and sandals saying cool things. He was God. Now, I'm going to say it again. He was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things that were created were created through our Jesus. And he grabbed this little girl by the hand and told the dead to get up. And you know what that was? It was a dress rehearsal. Because one day you're going to be asleep and I'm going to be asleep and we're going to be in some cold, clammy grave and the Bible says the Son of God is going to speak the same way. He's going to say, all right, it's time. Gabriel, blow the horn. And then he's going to say to you and to me, get up. Get up. Get up. You know, in just, in just a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, Easter. And it's not about Easter eggs. It's not about a bunny. It is about Jesus Christ rising from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead, this little girl from the dead, and he's going to raise you from the dead and me. And Paul said, if that's not true, 
then we are of all men most to be pitied. But he said, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And so we close this tonight by saying Jesus is the resurrection and he's the life. And you, my friend, are coming out of the grave someday. Amen. Can we stand up together tonight? Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and praise him. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you right now for Jesus and for the resurrection from the dead. And, Lord, we thank you that not only do you raise from the dead, but you also raise people from the spiritual dead. You also resurrect dead dreams. You also resurrect dead marriages. You also resurrect broken relationships, parents from children and children from parents. We thank you, Lord, that because you live, it's not too late. Now, tonight I want you to do something with your heads bowed. I've ministered a word of faith tonight. And I want you, if you've got something in your life that looks as hopeless as that girl, looks as hopeless as Lazarus in the tomb, would you give it to the Jesus who resurrects? Give it to him tonight and see what he can't do with it. I'm not going to give you a negative word and tell you it's too late. It's dead. I want you to reach up and I say with Jesus, only believe. Believe him. So I encourage you to take a moment and just pray and say, Lord, I give it to you. I give it to you, Lord. I give it to you, Lord. sense the Spirit of God just hovering over this place right now, brooding over this place right now. I want you to give him the dead dream, the dead vision, the hope that died, the zeal that has faded. He is the resurrection. Thank you, Lord.